workforce surged along the same streets. The harvest was gathered under benign skies. But was it a fool's paradise? For the swastika moved ever nearer. Hitler himself had come to Warsaw to gloat over a great city in its death throes. He'd begun to collect whole countries. Poland and Czechoslovakia were already in his pocket. Next on his list, Holland, Denmark, Belgium and France. And then, separated from Europe by just 20 miles of sea, the greatest prize of all, England. The British had begun to take this war more seriously. They knew that the Channel wouldn't protect them against bombers, so they started building air raid shelters in city parks. The growing certainty that the Germans would bomb London and other cities meant that children had to be evacuated. In just one week, nearly one and a half million children were moved to safer homes in the country. It was a deep emotional shock for some children, so to reassure them, the government sent along the most famous mother in the land. Her Majesty goes down to the country to see how London's evacuated children are getting along. She finds them healthy, happy, and above all, extremely busy. With the Minister of Education, Lord Delaware, Her Majesty makes a tour of the village. Better look behind you, Sonny, there's the Queen coming down the garden path. And Sonny has only just realized it. The young men who joined up with dreams of glory were quickly disillusioned. For the first 10 weeks, they were drilled like convicts doing hard labor. The only relief from square bashing being the indifferent canteen food. The training of fighter pilots was given urgent priority. They were young men who combined a quiet but deeply felt patriotism with a burning desire for adventure. Most of them were public schoolboys. If you find that the machine is turning to starboard, then you apply a little starboard engine and so exert a force on that side to draw the aeroplane out. They knew that when this training was over, they'd be flung into the sky against the most powerful air force on Earth. Meanwhile, even park railings were being fed into the war effort. Fed to metal-hungry munitions factories in what had become a desperate race against time. For the frightening truth was, Britain may have declared war, but she was in no shape to fight one. The Nazi enemy had been given a flying start by the policy of appeasement, which had left Britain in 1939 practically defenseless. The great opponent of appeasement, Winston Churchill, reported on an army exercise in which an officer had been thrilled to command as many as 12 tanks. What a pygmy force with which to repel the imminent Hun. Already London was looking like a city that expects to be under siege. The barbed wire barriers that went up in public squares would hardly have deterred a German panzer. They did, however, 
find a use for them that revealed the darker face of patriotism as confinement camps for resident aliens. Even this demure office routine had to be broken by essential preparations for the worst possible eventuality. The war office was convinced that, as in the First World War, the Germans would use gas. Do you find that you can work quite well in your mask? Yes, quite easily. And it's quite comfortable, is it? Yes, you seem that you sit. That's good. Now, don't forget to wipe your mask after you've used it. Try the inside. If there were an invasion, the last line of defense would be the Home Guard, seen here through the home movie lens of Rosie Newman.